1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 says this. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begot, begat loveth him also that he that is begotten of him. Excuse me. Verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God, and we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And thank you how we can often and so freely come to you and be heard in prayer. This morning, I ask you, Lord, that you would guide us as we seek to understand these verses from the Bible. I pray that we would seek to respond to them obediently by being doers of the word, not hearers only. Lord, I pray that you would grow the muscles of our heart as we work to love others as you have loved us, sacrificially and continually. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the great capacity to love others. Guide us, Lord, as we continue to study your word together. Please, I ask, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you are familiar with the Antique Roadshow? Yes! All right, I love the show. All right, I can't say that about much television, and probably this is not any form of endorsement for the show, but being such a, what otherwise could be such a dry show to so many, here's why I like the Antique Roadshow. I love the intrigue of coming to find out if some otherwise seemingly worthless object becomes valued and appraised at a high level and surprises the owner. See, the best individuals that go to the Antique Roadshow are the ones that are genuinely just aghast at the value placed on their object that is appraised by a professional authority in the area. The others are the ones that come in and say, oh, I think I, this is $10,000. And the guy looks at it and goes, well, it's worthless. It's a fake, right? And you're like, really? You know? So when I watch this, I used to watch this with my dad as a uh, younger. I don't know how long the show has been around. Once in a while, we'd stumble across the show. We'd watch an episode, and we'd, we'd love the intrigue of this. And then all of us kids would run back in the house, and we'd start ransacking the house and looking through all the old things and finding what we could find. And, oh, Grandpa gave me this. And I'm, and I'm kind of a hoarder with old, antique type stuff anyway. So um, if somebody's ever given to me like an old bolt or a key to an old Ford pickup they had from the I have it still, okay? Those are just neat things to hold on to. And then I gift my kids those things from time to time. I love finding out. My wife and I, sometimes, we've watched the show a couple of times together, I suppose, and, and we've, we've tried to guess, oh, I think it's appraised about this. I think it's worth about this much. Oh, no, that's mid-century. I think it, you know. And we try and come up with our ideas. Have you ever done this, right? Some of you have done this before. It's fun to do that. And it reminds me, what that, that whole observation in the Antique Road Show reminds me of what John is doing and saying to these believers, these Christians. 
concerning the treasures and the victories that they have in Jesus Christ because of their salvation. It's like John has them go and sift through their attics and and find these treasures and dust them off and say, these are priceless. Look what I have and have owned this whole time and have either forgotten about or been told that they're worthless. This is what John is showing. One One of the purposes of this little letter written by John from the Lord was to remind Christians of their victorious riches in Jesus Christ. That you and me as a Christian possess, we have the treasures and victories of our salvation in Jesus Christ. You know, as false teachers that had come up out of the ranks of the church at the time, that John was dealing with and writing really in response to their evil workings, these false teachers were working to undermine the Christian's faith by denying the deity of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Deity. These undermining false teachers were, were planting seeds of doubt in the Christian's. Maybe you, like some of these believers, have struggled with your assurance of salvation. Let me once again be clear that the security of our salvation, Christians, and the assurance of our salvation are two separate things. Those who are secure in salvation, the Scriptures clearly teach us that salvation is a once and done final act. It is secure. Nothing separates us from Christ in eternity with Him once we are born again by placing our faith and trust in Him, turning, repenting from from our sins, agreeing with God and receiving salvation. Nothing will separate us from Christ after the moment of salvation. There is no works. There is no ability of our own. It can never be lost. That's the security of our salvation. Once saved, always saved. The assurance of our salvation is more fragile. The assurance of our salvation becomes something that we might be more doubtful of because of a number of reasons. When we as Christians continue in sin, and leave it left untaken care of, it works to cause us to doubt and and to not have assurance of our salvation. When there's false teaching that's allowed in, that's, that's unbiblical and not in line with Scripture, these are things that can cause us to doubt our assurance. Our relationship with Christ as believers is secure, but our fellowship is oh so fragile. And so we work to maintain that close abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. So here John is writing to believers who are doubting or confused about the, the, the security the, and, and, and is causing their, their assurance of salvation to waffle a little bit. Others have said, and maybe you've read and studied through 1 John before, and through our series I've noted this, but 1 John, in part, was written to help us know that we have been born again. 1 John was written to help Christians know you have been born again. It's a confidence-building, reassuring little epistle filled with rich doctrinal truth. So this morning, we see that by reminding these Christians of the victories of their regenerating faith, 
assurance of our salvation is reinforced. This is what we see this morning in these first five verses of 1 John 5. The assurance of our salvation is reinforced when we understand the treasures and victories of saving, regenerating faith. All right? Number one this morning in verse one, this is, this is, this is a message that I've struggled to prepare an outline and, and, to, and struggled to, to figure out how to write and, and present this to you in a, in a sermonic way and in a homiletic way, to use those fancy words. It's, so what I'm saying to you is that we're going to bounce back and forth all over between verses one and five. You've got to pay attention this morning. I'm going to try and help you. I'm not going to try to be confusing. I pray that the, God's word would be heard, but we're going to look at verse one and then verse five and then three and then four and then back to one and then five so that you're just all spinning by the time, right? No, we'll land the plane and we'll try and make sense of it this morning. I just want to warn you a little bit. So if you're taking notes and you wonder what verse I'm in, I don't know. I'll try and keep track this morning too, all right? Number one, in verse one, I'd like you to notice that in the text we see the victorious plan of regeneration. It's clarified for us. Back in the Gospel of John, the same writer, the Apostle John, who writes 1 John, speaks of salvation and regenerating faith. But then in verse 1 of this little epistle, he clarifies it and, and gives a better explanation of what this is. And so I think it's due diligence, it's right and appropriate in Bible study and studying God's Word, then in verse 1, we just exp- work to explain and understand what this regeneration is. is what, what did it mean to be regenerated? Okay, So, the familiar and frequent exhortations for Christians to love their brother is no new theme in the Bible, or especially in the New Testament, and specifically even in 1 John. This is not a brand, where did this come from, John? You're telling us to love one another? What is this, a new theme? No, this is a continual theme that he continues to weave in and truth throughout the epistle. But who is our brother? What's this infamous brother, which includes sister as well? Who, is, who are these that we are to love? Who is this brother? Well, John explains this for us. He helps us to understand that the brother is one who has been begotten of God. So this morning, I, ha- I have a copy of God's Word in the King James Version, and we find this word begotten. And it can be a little bit difficult to understand. Theologically, we call this experience, this being begotten, regeneration. That's what we would refer to it theologically, regeneration. Or even more commonly, it's referred to as simply being born again. Being born again. That's what this begotten of God, this brother that's begotten of God is speaking of. The text says, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, begotten of God. So, do you remember in the Gospel of John chapter 3, verse 16, the interaction with Nicodemus, when Nicodemus asked how a man could be born again, what was Jesus' response? His answer included one of the most beloved verses in all of the Bible, John chapter 3. In verse 16, you may know it well and have it memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that 
whosoever believeth in him shall have everlasting life. You see, faith or believing, Jesus teaches, John writes of, is essential to salvation. You could note this passage down, John chapter 1 and verse 12 as a cross-reference for study. Or one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. That reminds us that salvation is all of God, is, is because of all of God's grace through faith we are saved. Not of works, not of anything that we do or can do. And so a biblical believing is more than acknowledging simply historical facts. We can come to know a lot about something. We can learn a lot of facts about one thing or another. But saving faith is more than knowing um, or, or, or possessing an intellectual knowledge of something. It's more than just giving intellectual assent to something. Saving faith is, is completely entrusting of self to the object of our faith. There is, by the way, such a thing as uh, unfounded faith. Have you considered that? The opposite to help us understand what faith truly is, saving faith in this context, so we understand what unfounded faith may be. I think it's been described this way before, that you could have all the faith in the world in a little boat that floats to cross the Pacific Ocean. But all the faith in the world will not get you across the ocean if that boat does not float, right? Pretty simple to understand. We can have all the faith in the world, all the trust in the world in something, but if it is incapable of, of carrying out and being a right, faithful object of our faith, then our faith is unfounded. And you already know, dear church, the joy and the great reassuring reality that faith in Christ is never misplaced. It is, excuse me, it is founded on the one who is faithful. Saving faith is directed towards Jesus Christ. No one and nothing else. John 3.16 again simply says, Whosoever, pay attention to the word, believeth in him. And then in 1 John 5, 1, the text before us, he articulates, John writes, what must be believed? Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ. The Gnostics and others, the other false teachers of the time in John's writing, were denying the deity of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And if you do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you cannot be born of God, John says. And so he's saying, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ. Saving faith involves a true and biblical view of the person and the work of Christ. He is the Son of God. Jesus is deity. 
Sadly, there are many today who claim to be followers of Christ, but also simultaneously with that claim, deny the deity of Christ. Folks, a simple plan of salvation involves personal faith in Christ of the Bible for salvation. And so by by the victorious plan of being regenerated, born again, by saving by God's grace through saving faith in Jesus Christ, these Christians were assured they were born again into God's family. This is the encouraging writing that he writes to them to clarify. And everyone who truly loves God, <clears throat> again, here's a continuous theme, must also love the Father and also love the Father's family. Here is the brother. Those who have been regenerated, those who are begotten of him, those who are born again, love God and love God's family to which we were born into. Love for God and your brother in Christ is a direct result of new birth, of being born again, this regeneration. So we see in verse 5, a a portion, excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 5. Here we go. I'm already confused, all right? Trying to stay on point here with the verses. So we see the victorious plan of regeneration, understanding what regeneration is. What in a text here, being begotten of God, of who the brother is, those who are born again by saving faith in Jesus Christ, the one who can be trusted and loving him and his family. But then secondly, in verses 1, 2, and 3, we see in the text here how the, the or excuse me, we see the, the, the victorious proof of regeneration. Remember one of the themes of 1 John I mentioned to you, you know this well, that first, one of the themes of 1 John is the right to reassure people, that to, to reassure, excuse me, not just people, believers, in the assurance of their salvation. And by this, John explicitly gives a list of proofs. This is what those who are born again do. This is what those who are unborn of God do. This is what the regenerated ones do. This is what the unregenerate ones do. Those who are born of God will do this, this, and this, and this. This isn't a works-based teaching. This is John pointing his finger at the outflow of a born-again believer's life. And so secondly, we see the victorious proof of regeneration. Firstly, the plan of regeneration. What is that? How does it work? But then we see the proof of one who is regenerated. How can one know that they are regenerated, that they're born of God, born again, saved? Well, you know what's very unique about birthmarks? I was sharing this with Pastor Chris in preparation. It's like, here, thinking about saying something like this. You know what's what's interesting about birthmarks? And I understand there's some that are a little bit like, oh my goodness, I wouldn't talk about that in public. I just did, all right? You know what's interesting about birthmarks? You get them at birth and they stay with you for life. Am I wrong? You get them at birth, they stay with you for life. John, here in verses 1 through 3, if you will, identifies in the text three spiritual birthmarks of every born-again believer. Something we've received at salvation and we possess through the life of a believer. Firstly, it's faith in the Son. 
faith in Jesus Christ. This isn't a brand new theme. We talked a little bit about this in part in verse 1. So in verse 1 we see continually, undoubtedly from, if you will, from the standpoint of um, from, from the human standpoint, from our standpoint, salvation begins at faith in Jesus Christ. And we know God's word promises that who, whoever believes on Christ will be saved. That's what God's word says. And so on the basis of that promise, the one who truly believes can be assured that they are indeed born again. And so belief in Christ is a spiritual birthmark of every Christian. There's another birthmark of every Christian, and that is love for the family. We spoke about this quite a bit in the last several weeks leading up to today. Love for family. Another spiritual birthmark. This is a second assurance of salvation, that we love the family into which we have been born into. The body of Christ, the church universal, the family of God. And so within human families, loving parents show their children how to love. That is, loving parents do. We teach our children how to love. How to love and forgive their siblings when they knock over their Lego creation. How not to hit your brother or sister in return. We chuckle at these things. As loving parents that want to follow the scriptures and honor God, we teach our children this. But folks, even as adults in the church, we have to remind each other, we teach each other, we turn to scripture, and the scriptures show us how that we as adults interact with one another as part of the same family of God. Loving our family members. So in this similar way, God has demonstrated his love to us. Just like parents teaching children to love, God demonstrates and teaches us to love so that we might see his quality of love in action through Jesus Christ and then imitate that expression of love to the brethren, to our brothers, our sisters in Christ, the family of God. Because we are born of God, who is love, you could say that we have the divine genes to love. We have, maybe it's better understood this way, we have the now new gained capacity to love because he first loved and demonstrated that love to us. It is simply hereditary that we should love the brethren if we are born of God. That's what John is reminding us of. Here's a birthmark. Here's a tell of, of saving faith, of being born again, of being regenerated. The proof is in your faith in the Son of God, your love for family. Love is expressed in two different dimensions. First, love for, this text says, him that begat. That's the first dimension. Or love for God, the Father. He is the begatter, begetter. <laughs> and then second, the second dimension is love for the begotten of him. That is love for other believers, love for him and love for others. Last week we looked more in the text and in the last part of chapter four about how you cannot have one or the other. One cancels out 
the other. The negative cancels out the other negative. We cannot say that we love God and then hate the brethren because our hatred for the brethren proves that we do not love God and vice versa. And so love for the family is a spiritual birthmark for every Christian. Faith in the Son, number one. Love for family, number two. And a third birthmark is obedience to the Father. And this is so important. John writes of this obedience to the Father. For there are many who say, oh, I love the Lord. I, lo- I, just, I just love God. I just love Jesus. But there's no commitment to the local church. No act of love and involvement with other believers cannot have one with the other. And so John reminds us of the obedience to the Father. Look at the verse 3, please. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. Church, love and obedience are the outgrow of our faith. Our genuine saving faith has an outgrow of obedience to the Father who has loved us. They cannot be separated. True love will not continue in disobedience to the law of God. This is why in those more difficult and sobering moments with a congregation that loves one another and wants to be obedient to Jesus Christ, and we see a professing believer living and walking in a habitual public pattern of a unsaved individual, a lost person, that we are to appropriately and lovingly confront that person so that we might regain that brother or sister. John 14, 15 says, if we love, if ye love me, keep my commandments. And so the equation is simple. Loving God equals obeying and keeping his commandments. The child, children, who continually disobeys mom and dad, the child that continually just lives in disobedience and, and, and does not listen to, does not follow the parent, by this summary, John says, Those actions are communicating, I do not love my mom and dad. Continued disobedience shows a lack of love for the one who should be obeyed. And so for the rest of us, everyone included, when we say we love God, but we do not follow his commandments, we do not see the birthmark of a regenerated believer, a born-again individual. Oh, it's possible to obey without loving. Isn't it? It is. Let me help you. It's possible to obey out of loving, out of fear for the person we're to obey, right? Out of fear of punishment, maybe, maybe out of mere respect. You just respect somebody so much that you're willing to obey them. Or, or out of hope or reward for obedience, kind of a salvific kind of thing when it comes to spiritual and obedience to God. Well, maybe if I just obey his commandments, then, then maybe someday when I get to heaven, he'll let me in, right? Oh, it's so sad how many times I've heard that through the years of ministry. It's not based on our works by uh, his grace. But our love for him is demonstrated, it's expressed in our obedience to him. Our love for God must find expression in keeping the commandment to love one another. This is the theme in 1 John. And so obedience to the Father 
is a spiritual birthmark of every Christian. These are important um, notifiers for us to look at, indicators of a, of a born-again individual. So then John continues after just giving this, this little statement on, on, on obeying commandments. He comes right in in that lovingly, loving tone that John uses throughout. He refers to him as beloved and, 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 and children and so on. And so very lovingly, he comes in supposing that there's going to be a doubt here. Really? Commandments? I've got to follow the rules and the laws? It's so hard. It's so grievous. And he comes in and says, is it difficult to obey these commandments? This is kind of the hypothetical. That's, that's the question to suppose. And John says to this, his commandments are not grievous. To obey God, it is not grievous. That is to say that they are not burdensome. They are not annoying. But this does not mean that they are not demanding. And that in praise God, the Spirit's power and the encouragement of other believers, and the, the accountability of the church, that there's encouragement, and that there is a way to obey God's commands in a loving and joyful way that is a, 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 we can look forward to and delight in. The unregenerate person, or even a, sometimes even a carnal Christian, may view the Christian life as repressive, as unappealing. All you do is go around and follow all these rules in the Bible. However, this concept, folks, is absolutely false. It is wrong. It is wrong. Faith in Christ makes it possible to keep God's commandments. Love for God makes it pleasant and joyful to obey the commandments that are not grievous. What's more, God's law grows, obedience to God's law grows out of love for Him. Just as parents make rules for their children and because they love them and want to protect them and keep them from harm, our Lord provides commandments that are for our good, our benefit, and when followed, they glorify our Father in heaven. God's commands are not a burden. Rather, they are a path to real joy. And, and the mark of love for God is joyful obedience, not a begrudging, muttering, calloused heart sort of abide, um, um, obligation. John says, faith in the Son, love for the family, and obedience to the Father are victorious proofs of our regeneration. These are assurances of being born again. And then lastly, we see the victorious <coughs> products of Regeneration. We've seen the proofs. We see the products of regeneration. Look at verses, well, really one, four, and five. Within our text, two products of regeneration are presented. 
The first is those who are born again comprise a family in verse 1. This is the family of God. Those who are born again, we are a family. That's not just an overused cliche term to try and build some form of desired community. We truly are, if you're born again, part of the same family of God. And God expects nothing less than for us to treat one another in a loving way as brothers and sisters in Christ of the same family. The second is those who are born again conquer the world. Conquer the world. Oh, these are encouraging things to think of in 2020, right? We are conquerors of the world through Jesus Christ. Whoever, or excuse me, who is the overcomer? The born-again believer. The born-again believer. God makes his victory over the world available to all his children. And spiritual victory is not limited, friends, to privilege or position. Every Christian is an overcomer, not just certain spiritual giants of the faith. It's, it's good to see and to notice and to read about and to recognize those who demonstrate a, a genuine and a strong commitment and faith to the Lord in their life, who the Lord has carried through otherwise unsurmountable obstacles, trials, and tribulations in this earthly life. And we look to them and they serve as a great encouragement to us. They challenge our hearts, and we give God thanks for their testimony in that. But every, you, every born-again believer is a victor in this world because of Jesus Christ. The world is, is tempting, the world is powerful, and it is able to control the lives of the unsaved. If you are here this morning you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, then you are under the throws, the swings, the pushes, the pulls, the direction of the world and its leader. What are the powerful forces of the world? Look over at, at chapter 2. Let me remind us. Chapter 2 of First John, excuse me, chapter 2, verse First John, verses 15 and 17. John was noting to the believers, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. It's easy to blame and point fingers and all the other external things in life that cause us and tempt us to do this or that. When oftentimes our flesh is the greatest enemy. I think there's probably three great enemies in the world today that we struggle with. Satan, the world, and the flesh. Right? But because of Jesus Christ, because of our faith in him for salvation, our continued faith and trust in him, John reminds us that we are conquerors we are victorious in this world because of regenerating faith we have a spiritual resource that empowers and enables us to live victoriously we are not helpless to the assaults and the bombarding attacks of the world we are victorious 
by faith in Jesus Christ. Our faith places us in God's family and it enables us to overcome this earthly world. And this is not just a boost of confident spirit and confidence in our ability and strength, but it is confidence that is solely directed in and on our Savior, Jesus Christ. Folks, this morning's passage, in this passage, John linked together three victories of saving faith. Do you see them? Let me remind you, and we'll be finished. Three victories of saving faith that he has been developing throughout the epistle. The first is, is a review. Christians are those who believe the truth about Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God. That's number one. Number two, we saw in this text that because of their faith in Christ, Christians obey the Lord by keeping his commandment to love our brother. And thirdly, we saw that through faith, our faith in Christ provides spiritual victory over the world. Dear friends, God's word teaches that belief in the gospel results in new birth. And new birth, in turn, gives the ability to keep God's commandments, including loving one another. This world-defeating supernatural power that breaks the spell of sin and makes the will of God beautiful and not burdensome is our faith in Jesus Christ. Have you trusted him as your savior? Do you know him as your savior? Is your faith placed in him alone? If so, then enjoy and be reminded of the victorious truths of regenerating faith and the victorious living that we now have the capacity to live in. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. The brief reminders this morning from 1 John of, of the characteristics, yet again, of a born-again believer. Thank you for saving us, Lord. Thank you for Jesus in whom which we direct and place our faith. He is indeed the Son of God. Lord, thank you for these victories. Those here this morning that may be so sinfully caught up and bound in the, in, in, in the stress and the distractions of an evil world. Lord, I pray that these words from your word would serve to encourage them that we have been saved from this world, saved from sin, that we live victoriously and we can be reassured of our victorious salvation. Lord, I pray that you would encourage those who are discouraged this morning. Lord, those that may be listening that have never trusted Christ as our Savior, I pray that they would turn to you now in saving faith, in acknowledgement of their lost, dead state in sin, that they are the direct object of your righteous wrath until they place their faith and trust in Jesus our propitiation, our wrath-absorbing, atoning Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.